Well, if you've been attending our church for a while, you know that one of the ways we describe ourselves is as a teaching hospital. That is, we intentionally train the next generation for gospel ministry. And one of the ways we do that is that we open up the pulpit uh, to hear next generation preachers. And I'm excited because this morning we're going to be hearing from a next generation uh, church leader. We're excited to have him. Tommy Doles is going to be bringing the word. I'm excited that Tommy's going to be preaching first because finally somebody from the offensive line fraternity is going to be bringing the word up here as well. I'm very excited about that. But more than that, I'm excited that Tommy's coming up here. He is actively involved in Athletes in Action. He just spent his spring break in South Africa sharing the gospel, the good news uh, with people there. Um, he is uh, also actively involved in the life of our church. So he's an all-conference offensive guard, but he also passes out bulletins on our welcome team. And he's on the missions committee. College students, come on. We got plenty for you to do. There's no excuse. We'd love to have you here. But it's been a joy for the last few months uh, to work on this sermon with Tommy. We've been working on this since January. And um, he's been marinating in this text. And I believe he has a word from God for us this morning. So, Tommy, come preach the word. Thanks, Pastor John. Shout out AIA. Well, thank you, Pastor John, and thank you to the church, to EBF, for the opportunity to preach the word this morning. And I want to say that that is my intention. All week we hear from the world, we hear from men, but you've come this morning to hear from the word of God. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. But I just lift up your name and worship your goodness, Father, because you are worthy to be praised. Father, there is no name like yours. Lord, I just I thank you for the way that this text has encouraged and convicted me, and I pray that it could do the same for the congregation. Lord, please open our hearts to hear what you would have to say this morning. And if anything comes from my mouth that is not of your word, I pray that it would be forgotten. Father, I pray that we could always listen to your word and allow it to speak into our lives and to change the way that we live. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Parting words carry so much weight. Whether it's the last thing that you tell someone before saying goodnight, or how you sign off a letter, or here's another example. Heads up, a couple football analogies might be coming in. A pregame speech in the locker room. All week, the coaches have been instructing the players on the game plan, on their technique, what it's going to take to win the game. <clears throat> but during the game, when we're on the field, we don't actively think about everything that we heard. But that pregame speech, in our case, some uh, fiery word from Pat Fitzgerald, that's something that can stick with us. Because it's the marching orders. It's the last thing that we're given to move on to before we go to our task. And that's what we get in Colossians this morning. We've been going through this series. We've gotten this word, this letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. And now we've come to Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And Paul gives some parting words, some further instructions before he moves on to their final greeting. So whether you've been here for that entire series, or this is your first time, we have to talk about the context, because the context informs what we're going to see. Con consider the context the week of preparation, what the coaches have been saying leading up to this point. So let's quick talk about that. 
before we get to that pregame speech. So in Colossians, Paul's writing to a healthy church that's being infiltrated by false teachings. A false teaching that says that Jesus isn't enough, that you need the gospel, then something else. So Paul confronts this by saying, giving us the soaring vision of who Christ is. He tells us that if Christ is supreme, he's also sufficient for you. Now then, chapter 2, Paul tells us who we are if we're in Christ. And then chapter 3 tells us if we are in Christ, what should that look like? If, if we've accepted the gospel and rectified this vertical connection with God, how does that change the horizontal connection we have with the world around us? And so that, as we read this passage, read it in light of that. This is going to be another way that that horizontal connection with the world around us is different. So, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Please open that in your Bibles and stand as we read. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's the word of the Lord. Please be seated. At the root of what we're going to discuss in this passage is that having been made new in Christ, having been rectified in that vertical connection with God, one of the things that changes is that you are invited to join in the mission of the spread of the gospel. God didn't have to invite us into this, but he did. And so Paul tells us that this mission that you've been invited to is something that you can't do on your own. You're not strong enough for it. You need God, and therefore you need to pray. So to give some context, we're going to see two key things. This passage sort of has two halves. So first, we're going to talk about the essential nature of prayer to this mission that we're on. And then second, we'll talk about how we should engage in this mission, especially as it relates to our interactions with outsiders. So first, prayer. In these final words Paul gives before sending us out onto the football field, we're told that prayer is vital to the mission that we're on. On our own, we can't put off the old self and put on the new. We can't accomplish this mission. We need God. We need God's power And to access that, we need prayer. But Paul doesn't just leave us saying that you should pray. He gives us a little bit of help. He tells us when to pray, how to pray, and what to pray for. So we're going to look at each of those. First, when to pray. Look back in your Bibles. Verse 2. Paul tells the church to continue steadfastly in prayer. To be steadfast is to be Firm, constant. It's not fickle or wavering. You're resolute. And to continue steadfastly in prayer means that you're praying habitually and with perseverance. Does that describe your prayer life? If it does, good, continue in it. Notice here that Paul's writing to a church that is doing it. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer. This is a good thing that's being done if that's what your prayer looks like. But if not, you're not the only one. I I think if anyone were asked here how their prayer life was, a lot of us would say we we wish that it was better. We wish that it was more disciplined, that it was more habitual. But as we talk about some suggestions, I just want to encourage you to prioritize this, to prioritize prayer, to prioritize getting to this point where you can say that I am steadfast in my prayer, firm, resolute, that I am disciplined, habitual in it. So let's talk about two quick suggestions for how we can be continuing steadfastly in prayer. First, we're creatures of habit. So establish regular patterns of prayer in your life. If you're not praying regularly now, maybe today you say, starting tomorrow and for the rest of the month, I'm going to wake up 10 minutes earlier, get on my knees and pray to the Lord for 10 minutes before I start my day. And then for 10 minutes on my knees at my bedside before I end the day. And then maybe this time increases and you add a chunk of time as you're walking from work to your lunch break. You say that I'm going to spend that time, that walk in prayer to God. As these habits continue, it can be a part of your life. It's a part of who you are in your routine. I I think that I've seen this, again, a football analogy. My freshman year, when I showed up at Northwestern, I was laid off the snap count almost every play. And if you know anything about offensive line, knowing the snap count is one of the few advantages that we have over typically a much more athletic defensive lineman who's coming at us while we're going backwards. So this was a bad thing, and had I been playing at this point, Clayton Thorson might have taken a few extra shots. Um, But my coach would continually remind me that this is a necessary thing to do. I would write, get off the ball on my wrist tape, and... It wasn't perfect right away, but over time, as I developed this habit of anticipating the snap count, it just became second nature, and now I can typically do that. But I think (laughs) a similar dynamic is at work in anything in life, and think about that with prayer, establishing a regular pattern. One other suggestion, write down your prayers. Keep a journal where you write down the things that you're asking God for. Uh, Write down the things that you are grateful for, that you're praising God for. I think not only will this focus our prayers and keep us disciplined with praying about things that matter, we can also look back and see the way that God has answered prayers from the past. We can see God's faithfulness and be reminded of the things that he has done in our lives. So, let's keep going. That was when to pray Next, we see how to pray. Look back into verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. We're told that we need to be watchful in it and to do it with thanksgiving. Let's explore each of these. First, watchful. This word means to be awake and alert. This might be a bit confusing, but the word here alludes to the salvation historical context that we're in. We're in this place where Christ has already died. Through faith in him, we can be rectified in that vertical relationship. That happened. But we're looking forward to when Christ appears again, to when Christ comes back. We're in this time where we're awake and alert to the fact that Christ is coming back. 
there's a sense of urgency to what's happening. Then we're told to pray with thanksgiving. And I think that this posture of gratitude is something that really struck me as I was reading this verse. If we're praying with thanksgiving, it means that we're constantly aware of the fact that we were dead to our sins, but through Jesus' grace, we're made alive to him. And that is something that, if we're constantly aware of that, remembering the grace that we've received... First of all, that's a deterrent against false teachings. So in the context that Paul's writing to the church in Colossae in, and if they're hearing that Christ isn't enough, that he's not sufficient, but for them, they're constant, they're thankful, they're so grateful for the grace that they've received, then this false teaching is going to seem like just that, false. And I think that the other thing that gratitude in your prayers accomplishes is that it brings you back to God in disciplined prayer. Someone that you enjoy spending time with, that you're grateful for, it, it's not a chore, it's not a, um, it's not a difficult thing to go to them because you want to be around them in prayer. So we're grateful for what God has done for us. This helps us remain disciplined and continue steadfastly in prayer. Let's keep going. Paul told us about prayer. We need to do it. We need to do it consistently. He tells us how to do it, being watchful with thanksgiving. And now we get some content of things that he's saying you should pray for. And specifically, he's going to tell us about praying for himself and others engaged in the ministry of the gospel. So let's read that again. Verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So the content of what Paul asks for in prayer here is that God would open a door for the word. And I want you to notice what he focuses in on here. He says that God would open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. God would open a door for the word. We, we see here that Paul is recognizing God's sovereignty over this mission that he's on. He knows that it's the word of God that's going to change lives. It's the word of God that can transform hearts. So that's what he directs it to. And an open door, an open door implies access to an opportunity. And God is the one who gives that. So Paul is praying, God, please open a door, access for an opportunity that the word would come through. And Paul sees his place and our place. We're just vessels of that. We get to be a part of that, but the focus isn't on us. So we, we see this, we understand it in theory, but what, what does it look like for us to pray like this in our lives? I want to tell you that here at EBF, we support some fantastic missionaries, good and faithful servants that are resolutely committed to this mission that we're talking about. And let me tell you, they need our prayers. They desire our prayers. So I want to just give you a few examples of missionaries that we sponsor that you could pray for in this way. First, let me tell you about missionaries in Central Asia. 
And also, how cool is that that I can't even tell you the country that they're in? That is classified information. If, if you wanted to see the file, you would need a password to access it. They're in a closed country. But the point is, is that they are there for the gospel. And right now, they're currently cultivating a local crop in trusting God that he would use that as an opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ for the word. They're trusting God that they can use their um, farming experience and expertise and equipment to build relationships with people in different villages in this country in Central Asia and to eventually build relationships and share the gospel. They're asking for our prayers that God would use this, that he would move in their hearts, the hearts of the people that they're working with. We can pray for them that God would use this. He would open doors. He would soften the hearts of the people that they're interacting with, that they could be prepared to hear the gospel, that they would have opportunities. You could pray for our very own Lance Evans, a missionary with Athletes in Action in Chicago, that he would have access to different teams and to different people to declare the word using sports ministry, or for Job and Bethany Hammond as they're leading summer mission trips. These missionaries, they need your prayers because they all trust that God is the one who does this work. Now, we're going to send out um, the missions committee update to the ethos communities. And I would just encourage you, challenge you to pick a few names on that list. If you're not already praying for them, pick a few missionaries that you're going to pray for, that you're going to pray for with perseverance, habitually, and just trust that God is going to work through them. And pray for yourself, because you are on mission. If you're in Christ, you're on mission. And you need to pray for yourself as well, that God would strengthen you for the task, give you the courage to share the gospel, soften the hearts of the people that you're going to interact with. When you wake up in the morning, in that 10 minutes by your bedside, pray, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith with someone. Lord, give me an opportunity to serve and show your love to someone. God is sovereign over the mission. Now, as we're thinking about prayer and missions, I want you to ask yourself, are your prayers big enough? Are they aligned with God's will and the reality of this mission we're on to redeem a broken world? Are you praying for big enough things? Notice here that Paul isn't just asking for his physical needs to be met. But he spends his time asking for prayers that he could clearly proclaim the gospel. That God would open doors for the word. Paul doesn't even ask to get out of prison. That, that was something that struck me. I was, I was wondering, what would I pray for in his situation? I, I feel like I might just be saying, God, get me out of here. Get me out of prison. Like, why am I? But no, Paul is trusting that God would work where he is that he would go through his circumstances trusting that he was there for a reason and that God's plan was higher than his. Paul had a heart for the spread of the gospel. Someone posed this question to me, and it really made me think. If everything that you prayed for yesterday were to come, were to be granted today, what would change? What would happen? For some of us, maybe we'd get a good grade on a paper, get a good parking spot, and maybe someone who bothered us wouldn't try to talk to us. But, but 
think about the mission that you're on. What if, what if those prayers <clears throat> came true in that, or were granted in that all these people that you knew who didn't know the Lord came to know Christ? That the church would radically serve and love our community, that there would be reconciliation, that there would be love, service, and evangelism, that there would be a revival in your workplace. Are you praying for big enough things? Let your prayers reflect the mission that you're on. I want to take a quick moment to recognize the risk facing anyone on mission. Look, look back at this. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul writes that on account of the mystery of Christ, he is in prison. And we can see here that anyone who is on mission, there will be some opposition. For us, it's not much. Maybe someone says you believe weird things. People are annoyed that you're trying to talk about this. Or maybe you're a bit of a social outcast on a weekend. But for Paul, and for so many around the world today, that cost is much higher. It it could be anywhere from unemployment, eviction, imprisonment, or death. Remember the persecuted church and know that there is a cost to being on mission. Don't be surprised by it. Okay, so we talked about being made right with God, you're on mission, you're not strong enough for it, so you need to pray. Now we're going to move into that next section. We're going to talk about walking in wisdom toward outsiders. Talk about this horizontal connection with those around us due to the mission that we're on. And before we read it, I want you to pay attention to something. I, I, I thought this was cool. Notice that Paul is essentially telling us to do what he had just asked us to pray that God would help him do. That was confusing. Let's think about that. Paul is saying, pray that I might bring the word to outsiders. Now he's going to go and tell us, now you bring the word to outsiders. So one thing that we can recognize in this is that if Paul needs prayer for this mission, I think we do too. So take a look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Stop at that for now. New Testament scholar Douglas Moose summarizes this part of the verse, of verse 5, saying this. He says, Believers should govern their conduct with unbelievers on the basis of biblical wisdom. Wisdom will enable us to determine just how, in given situations, our new way of thinking, our new set of biblical values should be put into effect. So essentially he's saying here, walking in wisdom toward outsiders is applying the truth of God's word into our lives. Now, the obvious observation in that is that if we want to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, we have to know God's word. We have to treasure this book, God's word revealed to us, because this is what's going to enable us to do this. This is what's going to enable us to be obedient to that command. So we're going to talk about our speech That's one way that we can apply the truth of God's word to our lives. But it's throughout the Bible. Think about just, for example, Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. You can read that and then ask yourself, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, are those evident in your lives? Would those describe you? 
Let's keep going. When another observation in walking in wisdom toward outsiders is that to do this, this could be obvious, but we need to relate to outsiders. We need to have connections outside of just our church. So this is basically saying, as Christians, we aren't to just board up the windows and wait out the storm inside the church until Christ comes back. <laughs> if nothing else, we rent this space, and you've got to be out of here by 12. But more importantly than that, if we're to engage in a broken world, you need to be connected to it. You need to have interests and hobbies and opportunities and connections where you can get to know, share Christ's love, and share this gospel message with people outside of the church. Now, don't take this to mean that you should completely ignore Christian community and spend all of your time outside of the church. That would be a grave mistake. I think a better way to think of it would be that we need to be rooted in the church, rooted in Christian community, but always prepared to go out on mission, away from here. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Turn there in your Bible. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Check this out. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love in good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together. So I can't tell you the exact time ratio that you should spend with Christians versus non-Christians, but I can tell you, be rooted in the church. And if you don't have a Christian community that can speak into your life, that can encourage you, that can hold you accountable, start by looking around here. Even though we do have plenty of us college-age millennials, there's more than that. There are people from all walks of life in this church. Go to EBF 101 after the service and ask Sam, how can I get connected with the church? There are people from all walks of life. Join an ethos community. Have that be a strong community that you can be a part of. This matters. This is important. And this is also nothing new to be talking about here at our church. One of our ethos statements, which describes who we are and who we want to be as a church, is that We want to be a missional community. That statement says, we radically love each other while seeking to fulfill God's mission to save the lost. Being obedient to this passage is part of who we are as a church. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Let's look at the rest of verse 5. Turn back to it. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. Time. Time is short. It's not guaranteed. And it's precious. Those of us who have lost a loved one at a young age are acutely aware of this, that we don't know how much time we will have. So it would be wise of us to use it to the best effect. Here in this passage, Paul is telling us that making the most of every door God opens to take a step for the mission, that this mission is a good use of the time. Think about the conversations that you're having on a daily basis. Are you going through life with eternity in mind? 
Are you looking for ways to share your story, your testimony, to take steps of faith and show the love of Christ to others? Are you prioritizing these great interactions of the mission above day-to-day cares of the life? I know so many people who have looked back at their time in college and said, I wish that I had taken more steps of faith. Or, I wish I had done more for the mission. I've met very few people who say, you know what, I had a good college career, but man, if only I had played more Fortnite. So think about that. What is really important in in the way that you're spending your time? But these are hard things to do. When we share our faith, we feel uncomfortable. We might feel awkward and It's almost like we're not strong enough to do this on our own. And that is exactly the point. That's what we've been talking about. This mission that you're on is more than we can do alone. That's why we need God. That's why we need to pray. It keeps coming back to that, to God's sovereignty over the mission. I'd like to make an observation on verse 5 that really encouraged me, and I hope it does the same for you. Here, Paul describes walking in wisdom toward outsiders as making the best use of the time. And in an age where we're constantly struggling to use our time well, wondering if we're making an impact or being efficient, being productive, here we see a clear way that we can use our time well. And that's being on this mission for the spread of the gospel. And that makes sense when we think of it in light of an eternal perspective, doesn't it? If we believe what the Bible tells us, that God is holy, that we're separated from him, that we need him to be in a right relationship, that we need Jesus, and that there are eternal consequences to this decision, how else could we spend our time that would be more important than engaging in that mission? Think of the implications of being a part of such a mission. As a Christian, called to be a part of the redemption of a broken world, your life is and always will be totally meaningful. In fact, as a church, you cannot possibly get to a point in life, no matter your financial status, your position within an organization, you cannot get to a point where your life is not meaningful, where your interactions are not infused with eternal meaning. Your health can affect that. I think of my grandpa. My grandpa suffered from ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, for four years before he passed away in 2015. And his witness, the way that he had grace amidst this suffering, the way that he shared his confidence in an eternal perspective, God was glorified through that. Even as he was being entombed inside of his body by this terrible disease, his life was infused with eternal meaning until he died, which was his gain. In The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis wrote, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Everyone you interact with has a soul. There is a lot at stake. And if you're not actively feeling this meaning and purpose in your life, if you don't feel like every interaction you have is infused with eternal meaning, you're not alone. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the day-to-day, which is why it takes God to see the world this way. Uh, Again, 
You need to pray. We need God to see. So ask God, God, give me your eyes to see the world as you do. Show me the dignity in each person so that I'll be inspired to love them. Father, convict me to share your word. Give me the strength to do this. These are the prayers that we should be praying. What an awesome privilege it is to have been invited to join in the mission. Let's finish up here. Verse 6. Paul gives us one very important way that we can walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And that is with our speech. The way we talk to those outside of the church. Let's read it now. Verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to how you ought to answer each person. The message that we have to bring as Christians, the gospel, that is important. But so is the manner in which we present it. Paul tells us it should be gracious, it should be seasoned with salt. Gracious means to be compassionate and courteous and seasoned with salt. Salt to the audience Paul was writing to, they would see that, they would recognize it as a preserving agent. Saul added flavor and allowed food to travel across different places to be preserved. Our speech as Christians should be flavored differently than those outside of the church. The way that we speak should allow the gospel to travel across different cultures and connections. Here's an important note. Keep in mind that he's not saying the gospel isn't able to speak for itself. It's not good enough, so you need to dress it up in some way. Now, this is just a matter of being a good steward of the message that we've been given. And again, this is nothing new for us to be talking about here at EBF. Another one of our ethos statements is humble orthodoxy. This statement says, we firmly hold to the truth while gently and lovingly proclaiming it. You've heard it here before. The gospel is offensive enough as it is. It confronts us in our brokenness, tells us that we need a savior and to give up some of our autonomy. And Christians, we, we don't need to add to that with some holier-than-thou mentality that we've gotten a reputation for in our society. Hold to the truth while gently and lovingly proclaiming it. And This command to let our speech be gracious, what a way to be set apart as Christians. What a way to be set apart from the rest of society. In an age when there are so many harsh words, when our political discourse is so sour, when there's so little kindness and understanding, if we, the church, present this, what a way to be set apart. And I think that this makes the gospel message attractive, too. That as people see us giving an encouraging word, as we're slow to speak, slow to become angry, as we're supporting others, we're not quick to point out others' wrongdoing. That's attractive. That can build up trust and add some legitimacy from us as we share this message. Now, some people may hear this and think, great, I can do my part on the mission by just acting in a certain way. I'll do my part in the spread of the gospel with my deeds. In fact, there might even be some quote you're thinking of that you would definitely snap to if I gave now. Here's the quote. 
Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Yeah, should we snap? No, don't, don't snap for that. Because that's not the message that we've been given. That's not what we see here in the Bible. We see that it is incumbent upon all of us to share this message. And this is a message that needs to be proclaimed and understood. It can't just be seen in the way that you live your life. Romans 10.14. Romans 10.14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The point here is that this gospel message needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be understood. So a better thing that you can snap to if you want, I think, would be preach the gospel at all times. Words are always necessary. And, and, always live your life in such a way that confirms and points others towards this radical message of grace and love. Uh, We can snap to that, I think. But, the gospel is true, and it needs to be proclaimed. Now, in conclusion, it's my chance to leave you with a couple parting words. This could be the last time I have an opportunity to come up here. We'll see. I'll ask Pastor John, Pastor Jason. Um, <laughs> it might be the last time you hear from me, and it's definitely the last thing I'm going to say this morning, um, looking at the time, but <laughs> it's about Jesus. It is about the gospel. It's a message that's worthy to be proclaimed and treasured. And so, be obedient to what we heard this morning. Pray. Get on your knees when you wake up and pray for the mission. Pray for your own life and pray for someone that our church is supporting, someone around the world who is proclaiming the gospel in a closed country somewhere else. Pray for this church. And then walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Always let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. Identify an area of your life, an interaction where you weren't doing this, and think about how you can be better, how you can more reflect the gospel message in the way that you live your life. This gospel, the gospel which literally means the good news, is a message unlike any other. It's what we celebrated last week at Easter. It's what we remember every time we take communion. If your life has already been changed by by this message, then far be it from you, far be it from us, to just let it stop with us. Let it overflow into your lives. Let the way you live be an outpouring of the grace that you've received. And if you haven't accepted the gospel, think about what it says. Think about this, that there's this holy and perfect God who loves us, but he loved us enough to give us free will, and with that free will, we have chosen to sin. Time and again, we have sinned against God, fallen short of his perfect standard, which, because God is also just, means we're separated from him, that we can't be in right relationship with God without a punishment. And nothing, no good deed we do can make up for the fact that we have already sinned against him and been separated from him. But enter the good news, the best news that humanity has ever heard, that God, in his love, made a way for us to be back in right relationship. Because Jesus became man 
and living a perfect life was a sufficient sacrifice so that he took the punishment that we deserved and through faith in him, we can be back in right relationship with God. That is what the gospel is. God didn't leave us in this broken state. He did something about it in his love. If you'd like to hear more about this, please talk to whoever invited you here this morning. Talk to me. Go to EBF 101. It's a a message that's changed my life. It's changed so many lives. It's changed the world, and it's doing so today. Hear more about that, because I don't think you'll regret it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given us an opportunity to be on mission with you. God, I pray for the strength to be on this mission. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the opportunities that you have put before us every day. God, I thank you for the missionaries that our church supports around the world. I pray that you would open the door for the word and that we could be diligent about steadfastly praying for them. God, touch us with this word. I pray that we would be moved by it and respond to it. God, I praise your name. We love you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.